Why are most Christians lukewarm in their faith? Why am I lukewarm in my faith? This is The Dangerous Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Williams. Before I get started, I want to explain one thing. I want to explain the difference between a season of being lukewarm and then a state of being lukewarm or just the general, you know, state of being lukewarm. It's the way it always is. And I think this is important because when I talk with teens and when I talk with young adults, they often ask me, hey, I'm feeling a little dry right now. I don't really feel God's presence. I'm not really motivated to do spiritual things or to grow. Am I a Christian? Do I even believe? And there's a lot of doubt here. And so I wanted to talk about this for one moment. We all have seasons of being lukewarm. Maybe you go to read your Bible and you don't feel anything. There's no motivation. Uh, the Psalms often talks about this. You, you'll hear David saying, Lord, why are you so far away? I don't, where are you? I can't hear you. Do, are you even listening? And so uh, David felt those seasons too. And there are lots of examples of that, people being discouraged in the Bible. And that's a season. It comes and it goes. And that's how seasons work, right? That's different than a state of being. So, for example, uh, recently I was uh, leading a Bible study and I was talking to someone about, you know, a, a commandment of God, the way we should live. And this person raised his hand and he was like, well, what if we just don't care? Like, what if, you know, God tells us something and we just don't care right now? We don't want to do it. And what I told him is, well... I might have to question whether or not you're even a Christian. If God commands you to do something, you give him the middle finger and you're like, I'm not going to do that at all. Because we read about in John, Jesus says, if you love me, if you have a relationship with me, if you abide in my love, what is the sign of this? You will keep my commandments. And so as Christians, if we look to the things of God, if we look to his commandments and just a life full of glorifying him and worshiping him, and we're like, I don't want none of that. I don't want any of it. That's not a season of being lukewarm or a season where our belief and our faith is pretty shallow. That's a state of unbelief. And so I think it's a little different there. And so I had to tell the person in my Bible study, if that's truly your attitude, where you look at the commandments of God and you say, yeah, I'm not going to do that, I would really question whether or not you're a Christian in the first place. So there's a difference between seasons and states. Also, something I want to talk about is the fact that if you care about these things enough to ask a question, so teens and young adults that come up to me and they talk about these things, if you care enough to where your lukewarm season, your dry spell in your faith is bothering you and there's remorse and, and, and you're searching for God, God, where are you? Well, I think that fact alone shows that you have faith, that you're a true believer because it if you don't believe, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to care. You'll be like, eh, whatever. I don't care. Uh, moving on. And so I think, again, seasons and states, those are two different things. But anyways, moving back to the intro, 
Why are most Christians lukewarm in their faith, especially in the Western world where we tend to be doing really well? Um, I'm going to be getting a, this uh, answer from Augustine, St. Augustine. Or if you're a Protestant, you might say uh, Augustine or something like that. But St. Augustine in his book, uh, City of God. Um, and what he says is really interesting. He says that people, even Christians love this world too much. We're in love with this world. We think that this world is our best life. And so when you have Christians who are thinking, oh, this is my best life, I need to live it up here on earth, this produces a lukewarm faith. Now, why is that? Well, what does God ask of us? God asks us to uh, give ourselves to him as a sacrifice, to give everything, to follow him. Uh, give all our possessions to him, all our time, all our talents. And uh, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. However, if we're holding on to this world, we're not going to do that because God, it's like, I don't want that because you're going to make me sacrifice. There's going to be pain and suffering and I don't want none of it. And so we live for our vacations. We live for our retirement. We live for our good times on the weekend. And sure, in general, we're decent people. Uh, we, we try to be good. We try to be helpful and serve as long as it doesn't affect, you know, our TV programming that we have to watch. You know, I, I guess that's a little old-fashioned unless you're still into sports. But, like, uh, you know, the game is on. So I can serve as long as it doesn't affect the game I need to watch. Or I can serve as long as it doesn't affect... I don't know. Uh, trivia night. I'm just coming up with stuff. But anyways, God, I can serve you as long as you keep it from, uh, you know, uh, three to five on a Saturday afternoon. And that's it. Or I can serve you as long as it's a Sunday morning. Uh, I'll give you two hours. That's what you got, God. Do something with it. And so we put God in a box because we love this world too much. And so when God calls us to sacrifice, when God calls us to suffer for him, to pick up our cross and follow him, we don't want that. We don't really want heaven in a way. So think about the future. How often do you think of heaven? For many of us, we don't think of heaven a ton because uh, we're having a decent time down here. And heaven doesn't really sound that interesting. I don't want to strum a harp on a, on a cloud for all eternity. I don't want to sing just forever and ever and ever and ever. I, like, Jesus, I want to get to heaven because it's better than the alternative. But that sounds really boring. And so we don't want to give everything to God. We'll give, like like 2% of ourselves to God. Uh, we don't really want heaven, so you're not going to tell people about a place that you don't want to go to. You're not going to tell people about a God that you don't really love. Like, you love him for two hours on a Sunday. And so it produces lukewarm Christians. Lukewarm Christians are not passionate. They're not on fire for Jesus. Why? Because well, sometimes it hurts. You read in the Bible just all the people who did a lot for God, they often suffered. The the prophets, the, uh, let's see, the disciples, uh, the New Testament. You look at Paul and Peter and John. Uh, they were all were, uh, I was about to say sacrificed. No, they weren't sacrificed, even though in a way they were spiritually, but they were executed, et cetera, et cetera. And as Western Christians, as American Christians, we're like, I don't want to do all of that for God. And it goes back to Augustine. 
We love this world too much. We, we, we live for our jobs and uh, retirement and sex and all those things. And so it produces lukewarm Christians. And so we don't want to evangelize. We don't want to serve. We don't look for the needy and the hurting. Why? Because that takes too much time, too much effort. It's unpleasant. And I'd rather not think about it. We don't want to think about death because... Uh, I guess we got to go to heaven and then God really has us there. And I guess we're going to have to sing on a cloud in a toga. I don't know what your image of heaven is. And we can talk about that because that's not what heaven's going to be like. Heaven's going to be a physical place. We're going to have jobs. We're going to have lives and responsibilities. It's going to be a place of pure pleasure and purpose and happiness. We're not going to be bored. It's going to be incredible. But I think that's a topic for another uh, podcast episode. But anyways, what what is the answer to being lukewarm? Honestly, I think the answer is learning about pain and suffering, learning about heaven, having a proper view of heaven, having a proper view of God, and knowing that this is not your best life. This is not your best life. This isn't it. Working a nine to five just so that you can have a Saturday to have fun. This is not the best God has for you. The purpose of this life is for us to worship God, glorify him, evangelize, get the word out, and our best life is is the next one. That's the one that we're living for. That's where we're storing up our riches and our treasures in heaven. And so this life is just really, it's a pause to where we're trying to go. And so if you think about it that way, all of a sudden you're like, all right, I can suffer for a little bit. I'm on earth for 80, 90 years. All right, I'm here to do a few things, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, have a family. To work hard, okay, get a job. To spread the gospel, okay, I'm going to enter ministry in some way. I don't necessarily have to be a pastor, but I'm going to serve in ministries that maybe I'm involved with or my church is involved with. Okay, be a part of a church, local community of believers so that we can encourage one another and and grow in the faith. Okay. And so all of a sudden, when you have those purposes, you know, family, uh, job, church, uh, serving, evangelizing, all that, it's like, okay, I can do this for 80, 90 years. Like, it's not that bad. Paul says, you know, what is this present life and this present suffering compared to the eternity to come? It's incredible to think about. So if we start thinking about that, now we start to feel that fire a little bit. We start to get that passion because we recognize, oh man, I'm living for something greater. I'm going after God. I'm pursuing my walk with Jesus and uh, everything that was given to me, my time, my talents, my money, all of that. It's not actually mine. I'm going to return it at the end of time when there's a judgment. I'm going to return it back to Jesus. He's going to look at you know how I've lived my life. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Then it's on to the best life. Then it's on to something incredible that we can't even imagine, even though we do get some details in the Bible. But do you see how the perspective shifts? If this is your best life, you're going to live it selfishly. Why? Because this is your one shot at happiness and pleasure. This is it. You're going to make that money. You're going to do whatever makes you happy. God, here's the middle finger until I die. And then I guess heaven's better than hell and I'll go to heaven. 
that produces lukewarm Christians who don't really love God for who he is, just what he can do for us in the end, you know, because we don't want to go to hell. But if you change from that to uh, the biblical view of our life, this is just a speck. We're here for a short time. Let's uh, give everything to Jesus for 80 or 90 years. Let's suffer for him. Let's evangelize. And God has such an incredible real world, physical world to come where there's no death, pain, or suffering anymore. And we get to live our best life full of pleasure there. Now all of a sudden we're like, all right, I can do this. Um, you know, there, one of my favorite quotes comes from C.T. Studd. Uh, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's why we're here. And so what's holding Christians back in, in their lukewarm faith is a wrong view of this life. They think, oh man, this is our best life. But anyways, I'm beating a dead horse at this point. So uh, we're going to move on to our devotional for today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 9. Now we're moving towards the end of Ephesians. I've enjoyed it greatly. And now it gets very practical. So remember, Paul often in the first half of his letter goes through some theology, through some foundations, and then he gets to the end of his letter. And oftentimes he talks about uh, practical application. He talks about relationships and ethics and how we are to live, etc., etc. So now we're definitely on that second part at this point. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. All right, so what are some uh, things that we see here? The first is that relationships are important. It goes through, you know, children with parents, fathers with children, slaves and masters, and no matter what, we are to treat people well. And we are to, people are, are to see the love of Christ in us by the way that we treat others. So children are supposed to obey parents. They're supposed to honor your father and mother. A quick side note about that. I was talking with an atheist recently and he was getting so upset. He's like, what if, what if uh, the parents are abusive? What if they're this terrible and they mistreat their, their children, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, Christianity condones child abuse because you're supposed to honor your father and mother even when they're treating you terribly. First off, that's not true. Honor your father and mother means to treat them with respect and to love them and to obey them. However, there's also an implicit assumption that 
your father and mother are also doing the right thing as well. So, for instance, if your father and mother tell you, hey, go murder, you know, your neighbors, honoring them would not be obeying them because this is wrong. This is terrible. If you're being mistreated, to honor your father and mother does not mean, hey, just take it and they're right and wonderful. No, there is an implicit assumption with much of the Bible when it comes to relationships that you honor people, you love them, you treat them well, and but there's an understanding that it goes both ways. And so if your father is abusing you, that doesn't mean just to take it. Go, get to a safe place. Go somewhere where it's going to be okay and you'll be all right. Um, and there are legal avenues as well. However, you are always to honor the position, whether or not the person in the position is acting as they should. So, for instance, let's take uh, the president of the United States. Uh, you know, uh, we want to honor and respect the position, even if we don't always agree with the person who is in that position with that title. And so that's how honoring, respecting, loving your parents works. You're always supposed to do it, but what it looks like on a practical ground level may be different depending on whether they're actually good parents or not, you know? So I hope that makes sense. So honor them always, but uh, how you treat them does depend on whether or not they're doing what they should be doing as well. You know, it's not just blind obedience. If they're terrible parents, uh, you can you still honor them, but what that looks like will look a little different. I hope that makes sense. So one, relationships. Uh, obey your parents, uh, treat your children well, work hard, um, and that leads to the second one, which is literally work hard and do the right thing no matter your station in life. And so Paul talks about slavery here. Roman slavery was different than the slavery we had in America a couple hundred years ago. Let's see. Uh, what is that? 1860s. So uh, like around 160 years ago, give or take. And so it was very different. And I don't want to go into all this. And we can if you would like eventually. But uh, it was a different type of slavery. But no matter the type of slavery, you're supposed to treat people well. You're supposed to love the people around you. Treat them with respect. Now, uh, again... This doesn't, uh, this doesn't mean that everything the master did was right. It doesn't mean to condone everything the master does. Definitely not. But when you have the love of Christ, you're supposed to love people and work hard and, and to have a good attitude no matter where you are. That does not mean to condone abuse or that you have to love slavery, but you're always representing Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean eventually slavery had to come down or slavery had to change, but as slaves and masters, you are always supposed to treat people well. And again, that's going to upset some people, but we can talk about this in a more nuanced way in a later episode. It doesn't mean slavery's right. But what it does mean is that you're always representing Jesus. And so you always have to love others and be kind. And if you're in a working relationship, you are to work well and work hard. And then this leads into the final point, do everything for Christ. This is the motto of a Christian. Do all things unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. You know, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, again, this can be abused. This does not mean to shut your brain off and accept all the terrible things in life. No, you're to fight for justice and fight for freedom. However, 
everything that you do, whether it's chores, whether it's driving to work, whether it's loving your family, we do it all for Jesus. So I talked about a couple difficult topics here in this uh, devotional, and and I kind of went through it very quickly. I can spend more time working through Christian ethics if you would like. Let me know. Again, we're on uh, social media, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter, and uh, I'm working on a YouTube channel now, which is exciting. But anyways, let me know. Um, I also have an email you can contact me with, and uh, we can talk about these things in greater detail. But anyways... That's all I had for today, and so I'm going to pray, and then we'll sign off. Father, thank you for all that you've given us, Lord. Uh, The Bible deals with a lot of messiness, and we don't always have the answers, or we don't always have everything covered in the Bible that we would like to make things nice and simple, but this is why we are to be faithful. Help us to be faithful to your word, your truth, Uh, morality. We know goodness comes from you, Lord. Help us to do all things for Jesus Christ, even though uh, we don't always know how to do it, Lord. We know you are faithful to look after us and to help us through these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, as you go into the weekend, I hope you're encouraged, uh, work hard, do everything for Christ, and just know that, hey, in the future, we have an awesome eternity to look forward to. This is not your best life, but still live it well, live it for Jesus. All right. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.